Hey, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you so much for sharing with us. You know, uh, you, think, you think about that and you think about all the tables we have out here with all our small groups ready to sign you up. And you think, well, you know, we just roped the, that couple into, into doing something like that to give a testimony. But actually, Josh is one of our new deacons. And uh, when he gave his testimony before the deacons, that was his testimony. It was the small groups that made a difference in his life. And so we are going to ask you today and say this is a, a sign-up day for small groups today and next week, and we're going to challenge you to do just that because togetherness is something really precious. In fact, let me give you two words, two words, and you tell me which one you like the best. Together alone. Which one you like the best? You know, which, which one gives you warmth? Which one, which one gives you the feeling of uh, belonging somewhere? And which one gives you kind of a dread, maybe even a little insecurity? Now, I remember when I was a student at uh, University of Georgia, I had a lot of friends there and I moved uh, up the, uh, uh, the highway a little bit to a place called Tacoa Falls College to study for the ministry. And I remember getting there the first night and um, there was nobody on the dorm floor. It was kind of the day before everybody was going to show up. And so I went into the room and I thought to myself, wow, I'm really alone here. I mean, there, I don't know anyone here. I had all kinds of friends back where I was, and now I'm really alone. And just for that evening, I really, I really sensed a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of what it, it is like just to be alone. You know, one of the things that I've heard over and over and over again from people about the fears of COVID and even the fears of going into the hospital during COVID is being in there and just simply dying alone no family around, no children to say goodbye to, just being alone. It's a fear that's often in many people's hearts. And the reason it's there is because God has built us to be together. God has uh, uh, suited us and made us in order to be a belonger somewhere and have people around us. Now, as we look at this, we understand, we said last week, the entire story of the Bible is one of God raising up a people to love him, honor him, and live with him forever. But it didn't begin with the church. When I said the entire story of the Bible, I don't mean the entire story of the New Testament, the entire story of the Bible. Why? Because God created us in, in a fashion to need one another. Now, as we open up to the book of Acts today, this is a, basically a, a basic passage on the church. It's, it's really the first church, and very seldom would you have someone go, a pastor, go through a series of messages on the church without looking at this passage because this passage really talks about what the first church, the immediate first church, was about. In fact, Jesus Christ had died on the cross. He had risen again on the third day. He ascended up into heaven. That's Acts chapter 1. He told them to stay in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And then they stayed that 120 in the upper room that night and they prayed and the Holy Spirit of God came upon them. Very first time that we see, we, we see recorded in the Bible where the Holy Spirit actually indwelt someone. And immediately they begin to tell of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says Peter got up and preached to, and 3,000 people were saved. It says right here in verse 41. So who, those who received were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, Acts 2.41. 
And so what we have here in verses 42 through 47 is really the aftermath of this, the result of this, the response to this. And it reads this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things common. They were, they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In this message today, belonging together, I want to look at four things. First of all, I want us to look a little history. I want to see the promise of it. Then I want to see the practice of it in this passage. Then the power of it. And finally, real quickly, the path to it. First of all, we look at the promise, promise of it. Now, we said that God has been building up, the whole Bible is a story of God raising up a people. And we find that all throughout the Bible, even back to the book of Genesis. Really, the, the church is not the first group of people that God called out to be a community. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, that God made us in, in or he made us in his image to have fellowship with him. One of the reasons, the main reason why God created you and as an object of his love is for you and I to have a relationship with him. But also it says in this passage to be fruitful and multiply, to have community. We're to live in community. And that's what this message is about. And then also to have dominion, to care for the world as well. But when the fall came, Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, all that just, just really fell apart. Why did it fall apart? Why is it so hard to keep relationships going? Why is it so difficult, even when sometimes your uh, children leave the home, it's difficult to keep those relationships going? Why is it that we suffer all through life losing friends and they, they move off and we think, oh, we'll, we'll always be friends, and you're not? Why is it that we struggle with all those things? Because the Bible says when we, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, a sin nature entered into them and they were no longer God-centered, they were self-centered. And we said before a couple of weeks ago, I took a coin and said, hey, heads and tails, you know, sin is like this. One side, there's pride. The other side, there's selfishness. And we are selfish creatures. We want to believe, subconsciously at least, that the world revolves around us. And we, we do things in order to, for oftentimes, we see things from our perspective, how they're going to benefit us. Somebody said, we all vote based on how it's going to affect us personally. And many, many times that's true. We are self-centered, and because of the sin nature, we just kind of can't help that. But because of that, it separates us from God and separates us from one another as well. And we look at life and we say, well, you know, I believe this is to, to be true. And what we've done, if we go apart from the Word of God, what we're doing is looking at the world, processing things of the world, and seeing how they affect us. And after we process everything, a new truth comes out based upon how we feel about things. Now, I know a lot of us are um, basically thinking to ourselves, well, you know, I'm kind of like uh, the cowboy. I, I'm an individualist. I can make my own decisions. I'm a product of my decisions. And I've preached that kind of before because we are the product of our decisions, but we're a product of our decisions based on the, the stimuli 
that is around us based upon our parents. We adopt the values of our parents 60% of the time. That's not coincidental. Our friendships, the reason why so many are maybe sending their kids maybe to Christian school or, or homeschooling, it's not just what is taught maybe in the public schools, but it's the influence those children and those teenagers may have over our children or teenagers when those people were raised by different parents outside of God. And so we're always, always cognizant of that. Why? Because we are not just a product of our individual decisions. We make decisions based on that, that stimuli that is in ourselves. And we cannot grow. And we cannot become the person that we were meant to be without community. We just can't. You take a person that has uh, maybe just yes people around them. They can't really grow. They can't move to the next step. Maybe, they may be thinking, oh, you know, they're, they're honest with me. You know, but, but if they're not honest, you cannot move to the next steps in life. You remain in a rut. You remain where you are. You can't really become the person that you need to be without community around you. Let me give you an example of this. Suppose um, you are, you're a singer or you fancy yourself, <laughs> all right, as being a singer. And you, where do you sing? Well, you sing in the shower. And it's great, right? I mean, it's wonderful. Uh, now, you're, it, you know, it's a funny thing about when you sing because when you sing, your wife turns on all the showers in the house, flushes all the toilets, cuts up the TV, and uh, turns up the volume on the radio. Everything around you drowns your sick. But you're great, right? I mean, no, you, you cannot do that. You cannot establish yourself as a good singer without the community around you affirming that. Now, suppose you were singing this morning, and uh, your grandmother came all the way from New York and the reason she came was to hear you sing on the praise team and have your solo. She came all the way. Now, she was going to visit anyway at some point, but she came this particular reason for, for this season and this weekend just for you. And afterwards, you know what happens. She comes up to you and says, you sing like a bird. Now, she didn't tell you what kind of bird. <laughs> Could it be a crow? I don't know. But she, oh, you, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. Oh, you want to be on American Idol or something. You know, you're just, you're just great. What does that say to you? Oh, I must be a great singer. No, you don't think about that at all. You think my grandmother loves me. That's the reason she came all the way down here. And she was going to encourage me no matter what. But what if Pharrell came to our church? Or Kelly Clarkson? See, I know a few people. I know their names. He said, well, that never happened. Well, hey, Lisa Marie uh, Presley came one time. You never know, you know. And so uh, anyway, she's coming to church. We don't even know she's there. Here's Kelly right there. You know, I'm on first name basis, you know, just like you. And uh, she's, she's there. And you sing. And after the service, she comes up to you and say, says to you, wow, you have a beautiful voice. I mean, she wouldn't say it that way. She would say something like, you have a marvelous instrument. They talk like that, you know. You've got to work on your craft. And I, so anyway, you, you look and say, wow, I must be really good. I was affirmed by somebody that didn't have to affirm me, but I was affirmed by someone who knows what they're talking about. On the other hand, if you went up afterwards and said, what about me? You think she's a good singer. What about me? Yeah, you're okay. You, you wouldn't be affirmed. You see, the community around you 
really does influence who you become in life. And so why not be a part of the best community, the church that God has established? Well, we look at some of the examples of the Old Testament and we understand that, for example, every time God started something new and he started a new community, he shows up in history. And one commentator brought this out and uh, so grateful for it that when God showed up with the nation of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt into the promised land. What happened? Moses saw the burning bush and God came to him in, a, in, in the burning bush. And then Jesus was born in Bethlehem when he started the church. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ is coming and he's starting a whole new community. He says, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Old Testament, God lives in their home, the temple. New Testament, we live, we are, in fact, we are the home. And then finally, we live in his home forever and ever at the second coming of Christ. We look down through history and we see how God has created. And then there was Abraham and Moses and the kings of the Old Testament, including David and Solomon and others as well. And we see the Old Testament prophets and finally Jesus Christ coming and being born and then living and then dying on the cross. And the church started right here on the day of Pentecost. And the next thing that God is going to do on his calendar is come again with all of his glory, setting up a new kingdom right here on earth. But the thing is, we're the last move. We're the last community that he has established. And what happened here? 3,000 were saved. And so what were the practices? What were the practices? They were, they were under so much. You know, you think, well, that's the New Testament church. I mean, my goodness, they were, they didn't have the persecution that we do, do they, pastor? Did they? Oh, more. Well, they didn't have to go through the poverty that we go through. Oh, they were very much into poverty. And so they had all these troubles all these trials, what did they do? Well, their lives were changed. And so here we find that, in fact, let me just say this, that the early church grew 40% every year. Every year for the first 30 decades. What in the world did they do to accomplish that? What, what happened? I want us to see in verse 42, I want to see four or five things here. That were going on. First of all, they practiced the truth. He starts off with this. They devoted. That means they had a single-minded fidelity. It wasn't a social club. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of breaking of bread and the prayers. They were devoted to the word of God, to the doctrine, to the, to the right way of living for the apostles to show them, now that you're saved, what should I do? How should I walk with God? They were devoted to that. Listen, if you are not devoted to the word of God, then the community of God is not going to mean as much to you. It's just not because we're not fellowshipping just to have a social club. We are fellowshipping around God's word. You don't need a small group that just discusses uh, the football game the, the next day. That's what happened to me when I was growing up. Growing up in, as a teenager, that's all we discussed on Sunday morning until the lesson started and we had a few minutes of a lesson and then went out. And I know a lot of, depends on the teacher and things like that. You don't need that. 
You don't need to, to talk about all the gossip that's going on or the, maybe the current events that are happening around you. What you need to be discussing is how God is working in your life by the Word of God. And I know that I stress that all the time. You get tired of that, I know. But let me just say this. Um, I have some water up here and a uh, little eight ounces of water. I had someone tell me not too long ago, said, my dad never drinks water. Wasn't me either, but never drinks. I've never seen him drink water. I don't know, Cokes and I mean, soft drinks, maybe a energy drink, coffee, a lot of coffee. Never seen him drink water. Water doesn't always have a taste. I mean, it does and it doesn't. And so you, you open up the, I, I don't know about you, but I open up the refrigerator. It's Saturday afternoon. I'm watching a ball game, golf, and there's water. There's a cold water there. But there's also a soft drink, a diet drink. Love those things. I know I need to drink the water. In fact, if I drink the water, it's going to refresh me. If I drink the water, I'm going to feel a lot better. If I drink the water, I'm, I'm going to have kind of a, a little bit of boost of energy if I'm a little low, a couple of quarts low, you know? But what do I do? I reach sometimes to that Diet Coke. It just tastes better. It's just better. You wake up in the morning and you think, I know I need to read the Bible. In fact, if I read the Bible, oh my goodness, it'll refresh me. If I read the Bible, I'll find out more about God. If I read the Bible, it's going to bring peace to my life. It's got a chance to, to do that. It has a chance to make my day just something totally different. But you know, as I'm on my phone or maybe you're on your phone, and you look at maybe your iPad, your computer, and just say, here's the Bible app is right here. I'm going to read it right. No, you know, I'd rather go to the, let me go to the news first. I got to find out what's really going on. I got to find out about social media first. Got to contact my friends first. All of a sudden the morning's gone, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. We often don't do the things that are best for us. We do the things that have the better taste at the time. Dear friends, I'm going to challenge you. Read the Bible. Read it. Study it. Let God's word flow. Ask God every time before you read, God, speak to my heart. It'll change your life. It'll bring, pre pe bring peace to your life, fulfillment to your life, direction, wisdom to make the right decisions in life. They devoted themselves to that. But notice, I need to move on here. And all came upon every soul. This is worship. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and all things common. Notice that. They were together. It didn't say to themselves. They, they, it's not something they did. This in the, in the original Greek means that this was a continual thing. It's not something, togetherness is not something they did, but something they were. It was a sign of life, as one gentleman, one commentator put it. it. It's a sign of life in the original language. You were together because your life was changed and you wanted to be with other people. It's just something you did because you wanted to do it. Notice it says, uh, they, they believed they were together, they had all things common, verse 46, come back to verse 45 in just a moment. Day by day, attending the temple together. They went to the temple together, breaking bread in their homes every day. Now, we have trouble in, in the church today in the United States of getting people to go once a week. But it was a natural thing for them to want to be together. They fed off one another. They fed off the word of God with one another. 
They were together. There was a sense of belonging. They wanted to do this, but they needed to do this as well. Way back in the book of Ecclesiastes, which they would have been very much aware of in the Old Testament, it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their, for their toil. That's labor. For that if they fail, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone. When he falls and there's not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together and keep warm, how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, a three-fold cold cord is not quickly broken. See four things here real quick. Mutual effort. We had a class, somebody, one of our deacons told me about their class, not yesterday, but uh, Saturday before yesterday, um, eight days ago, there was a <clears throat> lady in their, uh, in their small group, and they were getting in touch with her about her husband. He's been sick. She said, what can we do for you? And she said, well, I hate to ask. No, go ahead and ask. So the, the lawn is awful. My outside, outside of my house is just looking really bad. We just, he just can't mow the lawn, and I can't do it. Elderly couple. So their class went out and worked four hours Saturday before last, cleaning up everything around their yard. You couldn't do that alone, but you can do it mutually together, mutual effort, a mutual support also. In verse 10, we can see this, bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. Notice in the Bible, one thing I noticed in the Bible, every time somebody sinned, it seemed like they were alone. He was alone. Cain killed his brother. He was alone. David sinned with Bathsheba. He was alone. Kind of separate. Satan wants to separate us out from the crowd. And we need that support. I shared with you a story about the, uh, the young lady in Chicago. Grew up in a great big church in Chicago. Had a huge youth group. And there's about a dozen of them that were really following Jesus. And they, they had their own little group. And, and it's not a clique. It's just something you need a support group. And this was their, their small group. And um, he said, she said two of them called to the ministry. At least two. Mission field, in fact. Others were following Jesus. Everybody said, you know, we were on fire. That was, used to be the phrase. We were on fire for God. As she's writing the article, she's in her 30s and just attended the funeral of one of the young ladies that was in that youth group. It was a suicide, and they were very distraught as they gathered together. And she was asking, are you going to church? Are you going to church? Well, after high school, they just all scattered. She went to uh, a school out in California, some in New York, some in the South, some stayed in Chicago. Everybody went every direction, and there was no support group. She didn't say that, but you could see it. Man, I could see it all over the page. She's saying, well, I don't know about all this now. I'm, I'm just kind of down. The reason she's doubting is she's alone. She's by herself. And others were, they just never saw the value of that support system. And so they never went out looking for it again. And now they're in the shape that they're in. Disillusioned, disappointed, but also Unhappy with life around them. We need that mutual support, mutual encouragement. Cooksus and Posner in their book on encouragement said that 98% of the people would do better in life if they had encouragement. We need mutual strength as well. It talks about that in verse 
in verse 12. We need the strength of God in our life. We need the support system around us. We need people at that hospital. We need people holding our hand. In fact, I ran across something on the internet just the other day that now hospitals are actually filling gloves, hospital gloves with warm water and placing them on the hands of people that are in a coma or out because there's no family around. In fact, I think we've got a picture of that. There's just no family around. That's what they're doing. That's an actual picture of a hospital because people need people. Even when you're unconscious, you need to feel a warm hand. You need to feel like someone is there in your life. Well, we see all this, but we also see some practice generosity. We'll get to that um, in the future on this series. Also practice worship. We'll come back to that, but look in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. Why is this important? Why is it important to come and lift up your hands, maybe at least lift up your voices to the Lord and to sing and to praise God. C.S. Lewis has said it best when he said that when we share the praise, he puts it this way, the praise completes the engagement. In other words, you're doing something and, and you really feel good about it. What do you want to do? You share it. Some of you on social media, you just can't wait to share that picture of your, you and your friends. You want to share something. You know, there's a a cartoon or there's a video that you want to share. So you send it to friends. You want to keep it to yourself. I remember graduating from Nicole Falls College. And by the time I graduated, I'd hurt my leg really bad and had to be in a cast and, and limping around. And then at the end of that, I'd already planned to do a revival during my graduation of all things. And I mean, you know, back then I was taught, anybody ask you to preach, you just say yes and work out the details. So I missed the practice. I missed everything except for the actual graduation. And when I opened up my diploma, even though I worked for it so hard, I thought, you know, there's really no one to really share it with. I mean, my parents were there, but I didn't know they were there yet. I hadn't seen them. I just knew they were there. Some people after church came up from an interim pastorate. I was just had stopped preaching there. And uh, they found their the permanent pastor. And there's a bunch of them there. And I can remember thinking to myself, wow, you know, let me show you my diploma. Let me show it to you. Southeastern Seminary, I graduated from there. My, I was married by then. My wife had actually kind of really put me through school. And so I had somebody there to, to open it up and share it with. The sharing completes the engagement. And that's what we find in the Bible. When you are filled with praise in your heart, thanksgiving in your heart, you've got this relationship with God going on. Those around you are feeding into that relationship, helping you with that relationship. You just want, you just want to praise. You just want to worship. And that's what they were doing. And then also it says they were sharing their faith, verse 47. Those who are added to the church daily. We'll talk about that in the future as well. Well, how do you get the power to do that? I mean, it's all fine and good. It looks good on paper, but how do you have the power to do that. So many have failed before. Well, we find in Acts 1.8, and the reason I read this passage versus some other things, it's just the foundation to everything we're talking about in Acts 2. Acts 1.8 says, you receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses for me. At the very moment that you and I receive Jesus into our heart, the power of the Holy Spirit Come, in fact, the person of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and gives us the power to live the Christian life. It takes us from being self-centered back to being God-centered. And with this selfishness ending, 
then we can have the fellowship with one another. Our lives are changed. We look at things not only, not, not in fact, not really self-centered at all. We look at things from others' perspective. Listen to what Philippians tells us as we, this is something we struggle with because Paul would not have told the church at Philippi to do this if they were not struggling with it. But this is what we're called to do. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only on his own interests, but also the interests of others. That's what happened to this early church. The first 300 years, every single decade, they grew by 40%. And they didn't do it by advertising. They weren't on TV. They did it by word of mouth. Why? Because people's lives were changed. And their, their method of praising God was to share Jesus with someone else, that he could be the answer to their life the way he was the answer to their life. Scott Lauderette of Yale University, I don't even know if this guy's a believer or not, I, I don't think he is, but he has studied the history of the early church, and he said this. He said the reason why, he believed at least, on the secular side, that the church grew so much is they, number one, they died better. There was just a great testimony and peace that was in their life when they went into the afterlife, unlike the pagan religions, they were more inclusive. And this is his opinion. But he said up to that point, hey, if you were, there was a Jewish faith for the Jewish people. There was a Ro Roman faith for the Roman people. Everything was segregated. But he said this is the first religion that he has studied, at least, that opened things up to every single person in the world. And then thirdly, they cared more including the plagues, as he said. You know, when the plagues happened, everybody head, headed to the hills, but the Christians stayed behind and not only took care of their families, they drug people off the street to take care of them too. There was a difference in their life because the Holy Spirit had come into their life and they were no longer the self-centered. They were now back to the original plan of God to be God-centered. Are you there this morning? And what, what is the path to get there? Well, Obviously, you need to know the Lord, and we'll come to that at the end here in just about two minutes. But you need some, some people in your life. That's what we've been talking about here. Who's in your life? Gene Getz, in his book on the church, back about 40 years ago, said we needed three things. And he's right. We need celebration. We need a time where... A hundred people come together, a thousand people, 10,000 people, whatever, it doesn't matter. We come together and worship God and get something from God's word. We need that celebration time. We need that time where we, we see people's lives being changed right before our very eyes. But we also need a congregation, and that's where the small group comes in. It's something smaller. It's not the big church. You know, we're, 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 we have a lot of people, but we're smaller at the same time because we have the small groups. This morning, we're going to challenge you to sign up for one of those small groups because you and I need that face-to-face -face contact with people. We need a group that we can count on. That's where our ministry comes. A deacon is assigned to every single class, and that's where you find out, we find out what's going on in your life with hospitals and deaths in the family through the deacons. We have one assigned again to every single class. That's how we minister to people here in this church and how we stay small. We have the small groups for fellowship. We have the small groups so you can know people by name and people would know your name. We have small groups so you can 
fellowship with one another and have, do life together and you're face to face, hand to hand in the, in the auditorium, sometimes, you know, fist pump in these days, but you're hand to hand here, face to face in the small group and then heart to heart with a few people in that small group that you just hit it off and, and God has led you to those few people. And they can be friends for a lifetime. They can be someone in your life that you can share your deepest sorrows, your, your deepest griefs, but also your greatest triumphs and happiness in life. It's a place to belong. Joining a small group is a caring ministry. Joining a small group establishes relationship, a community, a community in your own life. Jesus Christ intervened in this world, born of a virgin in Bethlehem on that day in order to establish a saved community, a re- people with a relationship with him that would come together for a relationship with others that were like-hearted, like-minded, and saved like them. And so where do you start there? Well, have to do it. It's an opportunity to do it. We're not trying to force anybody, try to sell anything. This is just, you know, for us to to establish our mission state, to accomplish our mission statement, that we would teach people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. If we're going to do that in your life, you've got to be in a small group. That's how the church is, is led. That's how the church is run. You have to do that in order for us to really help you. And then you can always, like many people, they visit a small group, and they're led to the Lord through the small group. They say, oh, you know, this is how people live. This is what Christianity is all about. I want to be a part of this. But you don't even have to wait for a small group for that. In fact, the very foundation to it all, the goal of it all, is to make sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. That you're a follower of Christ, that Jesus lives in your heart. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross and died alone. He died with no one else around him. I mean, there was a distance. His mother was there. John was there at a distance as he stood on the cross, but he, he died alone. But even more than that, he cried out on the, on the, on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, he took on your sins and mine and the father abandoned him. He died without the fellowship of the father and the Holy Spirit. Now, how significant is that? Well, some of you have lost loved ones, and they've been a little distant from you. A distant relative, maybe an uncle that you haven't seen in 20 years. It's sad. You're sad for their family. You go to the funeral, of course, and you you pay your last respects. But there's some people here in our church that have lost a spouse to death after being married for 40, 50 years. It's like part of them has left them and been buried in that grave. Closeness. Not only the closeness of the relationship, but the the longevity of that relationship. There was no one ever in the history of the universe ever closer than the Father and the Son, but also they were close for all of eternity. And when the Father turned his back on the Son... The devastation 
in his emotional life cannot be described. But he died. He died alone. So you would not have to be alone. So you would not have to suffer through that. He died in your place so you could have fellowship with him and fellowship with his people. If you've never received Christ into your life, I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, whether you're here watching by television or internet, I want to, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. It's one life that I prayed many, many years ago to receive Christ into my life. And you can also make that same decision today. And I would encourage you to do that. Today's your day. Today's your day to do that. Pray with me now. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying alone that I might live with you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins that separate me from you. And I ask you to come into my life and my heart and help me to follow you as Lord. Help me to be ministered to by other believers and minister to them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.